that says, mm-hmm. from a perspective, as you said, we kind of can't ignore this. We can't just say that people leave the faith or people wrestle with what they believe purely because they are in search of the truth. Now, that is theoretically, I think, maybe possible. Um, and and um, yet, at the same time, the Bible gives us lots of data to suspect that maybe there is something else going on, and that just might be a drive for or a desire for autonomy, to be self-ruled, that there can be kind of a hardness of heart, that our heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Even Paul or whoever wrote Hebrews says to the Hebrews in in, in Hebrews chapter 3, listen, be really careful and be concerned that uh, you aren't de- deceived by the deceitfulness of sin so that it causes a hard heart and draws you away from the Lord. And so that is always at play in, um, in, in deconversion narratives. And- Hello, and welcome to another episode of Reason to Doubt, your source for all things skeptical. I'm Jordan, and with me is Jared. How's it going, Jared? It is going fairly well, actually. Thank you for asking. And yourself? Uh, it's going all right. I got my second dose of science juice yesterday. Nice. So now you're going to be super vaccinated. Right. So I got Johnson & Johnson the first time, and now I've got Moderna. And so if I get one more, then I think I get like a, my fourth shot free or something. I don't know. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm this, one, for- this one has hit me like the last one hit me like a dump truck. This one is like hitting me like a scooter. Like it's still not pleasant, but yeah. you know. I spoke with a friend of mine today who got his yesterday as well, and he was experiencing not a pleasant day. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so, if you're listening to this and you weren't aware, the CDC and FDA got together and they approved boosters for uh, people who are vaccinated. If you got the Moderna or Pfizer before, then you should get a booster if you're over 65 or you're in a high risk situation, like you have pre-existing conditions or something, they have a checklist there. If you got the Johnson & Johnson vaccine at least two months ago and you're over 18, then you should get the booster, period. Yep. So that's as of Thursday, I think they made that decision. Yeah, I think it's, I think it was Thursday, but I mean, got to build up those antibodies, man, you know? Yeah. So. Speaking of antibodies, I don't know that doesn't actually have anything to do with what we're going to talk about. Well, but uh, <laughs> not speaking of antibodies. <laughs> right. Segue. Uh, so today we are going to be talking about deconversion, the process of moving from faith to not faith, atheism or something else, specifically as it pertains to leaving the Christian faith. Though a lot of what we're going to be talking about could be applicable to other faiths as well. Yeah. Yeah, so I was using the YouTube as I do often. (laughs) Um, That's my primary source of media consumption. And I was watching a video by uh, Sean McDowell, who is a Christian. Um, His father is a famous, you know, apologist, but he has a YouTube channel and he does a lot of interviews with people. And I was watching this interview and the name of the video, in case you want to go check it out, is a checklist before leaving your faith, honest questions to ask. Sounds good. Uh, And he was interviewing uh, John Marriott, who is a PhD at Biola University, where I believe Sean is also on staff. But I, about 20 minutes into it, I was getting pretty upset. And uh, I shared it with Jordan. I said, 
you got to check this out. So, so Jordan listened and he's like, I think we found our next episode. So <laughs> yeah, put, put on hold everything else we were going to do, clear the desk. Uh, so if you, if you're not familiar with Sean McDowell, I highly recommend his channel if you're at all interested in philosophy of religion or just like religious questions. I think in general, Sean is a great source. He's very thoughtful and seems genuinely interested in opposing points of view and is, I don't, he's not always, he's not perfect. He makes mistakes, but I think he, he is really trying to do it right. So I think Sean usually demonstrates apologists, apologism and like conversing with people who oppose you the right way. Yeah. Like he's usually a good role model there. He doesn't usually straw man people. He doesn't. Uh, he is usually pretty good about listening to them and returning their position, perhaps even stronger than he got it, which leads us to today's fallacy of the day, which isn't act so much a fallacy. It's kind of yeah. like an anti-fallacy. Yeah. So previously we did the straw man fallacy. The straw man is where you build kind of a fake approximation of the person's position that's easier to knock down. And so you beat up the straw man. Well, today, our fallacy, quote unquote, is the steel man, where you do the opposite. So this is what you actually want to do when you're talking to someone. Or you can do it if you don't want to talk to someone and you want to like better figure out what their argument is, right? Right. So the way steel manning works is you listen to what the other person's argument is, and then you basically repeat it back to them or... If you're kind of addressing an argument, maybe you phrase that argument in the in the most charitable, strongest version of it you can. Yeah. So you, you try to bolster it as much as you can, making if there's any kind of assumptions, you give it the the benefit of any of those assumptions in order to to tackle the strongest version. Yeah. Sometimes you may even fill in gaps in their argument with with things that would even bolster or support their argument that they didn't even put in there themselves. So. Right. And this is useful, one, because it helps understand the other person's position. If you can steel man it, then you have, probably have a decent grasp of what they were going at. And also, rhetorically, if you steel man it and then beat it anyway, well, even better, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh. it's, just, it's just a nice thing to do. Um, right. So we, we highly it, recommend it, steel manning people. I highly recommend it to Dr. John Marriott, in fact. Not that he's ever going to listen to this podcast, but if he did. So if you haven't watched the video, you don't necessarily need to watch the video to in order to enjoy this podcast. We're going to give you any details you might need. And if you're a non-believer, a lot of what we're going to talk about is probably familiar to you just from talking to Christians. But I would recommend you go see it. It's definitely worth watching. And I think, like we said, Sean is a genuinely good and I think earnest person. And we agree with about 85% of what the video has to say. So the... Point of the video, he's interviewing John Marriott for his book, which was, what was the name of the book? Uh, the name of the book that comes out in a couple of months is actually uh, titled Before You Go. Yeah. And the book is targeted towards people who are leaving the faith. More specifically, it's targeted towards like the loved ones of people who are leaving the faith. So the idea is it's supposed to be arming like parents or family members who have someone that they love that is experiencing doubt. And most of what they talk about in how to have these conversations and why people leave are, are good. They talk about how you need to listen to the other person and hear what they have to say. And they repeat that several times. And that's great. They talk about 
some of the reasons why people might leave and they mention you know seeking truth as one of the possible reasons at one point they do say that so at, that's at good one specific point they say that no <laughs> right yeah. i'm tr- here i am steel manning i'm trying to steel man the, the, the video and so they, they have this conversation where they're kind of discussing deconversion and most of it is good but the problem in this is the other 15 percent which wasn't so good and i think that 15 percent is more indicative like this is probably the best example of christians talking about people leaving the christian faith uh usually it's much worse than this usually it's much more that 15 percent and less of the other so i think that we're just going to kind of go down the things that they did wrong and how we think they should improve it so the purpose of this podcast is going to be for non-believers to uh enjoy commiserating with us over these kind of conversations but if you are a believer hopefully you can come away with a better idea of how to have this conversation with your loved one or if you want to deconvert you could maybe learn a few things to check before you go (laughs) there you go so i think the first mistake the kind of fundamental sort of mistake is that the people sean and Marriott and then their audience are going into these conversations with the person experiencing doubts with a goal. And that goal being they want to convince them that they're wrong. They want to they want to win them back. That's the point of the conversation. Right. Which makes sense if you're a Christian, you don't, you know, their eternal salvation, their souls are on the line here. So you're not just gonna say, hey, peace out, dude, you know. Right. It's a completely understandable position, but I think it's a mistake because when you engage in a conversation with someone, if you have that ulterior motive, I mean, it's, it's okay. You have those motivations, but the point of the conversation should be, I think to have the conversation to learn about what the other person thinks and why maybe see if they have good reasons for what they're doing. You could be wrong and you're not going to find out unless you honestly approach the conversation open to being wrong right and i think the real reason well not the real reason but one of the main reasons to approach it this way is you're not tainting yourself in the conversation before you you get off and running right so if you approach the conversation with how do i figure out how to get this person back into the fold then everything you hear and say is going to be through that filter through that lens and you're not you might not actually understand or have a decent conversation with the person. So you're definitely not going to be steel manning them. That's for sure. Whereas if you approach it with, let me see what is really going on. Why are they experiencing the doubts? What are they thinking? And you approach it that way. You're more likely to hear them, not just listen, but hear when they tell you things and people pick up on that. You can tell when someone's in the conversation for a motivated reason, they don't really care why, what you're saying. Right. So I think that that is going to be a theme that plays out through the whole video. But starting off with some good things they did, uh, one of the big points that they made was that emotions play a role when we make decisions. And so while people might cite reason or logic or evidence or whatever as the reason why they're leaving, they have some research and some uh, reasons why they think that emotion can play a big role, not just in the decision to leave the faith, but in all decisions. We're emotional creatures and those emotions factor into our decision making. Yeah. I think it's important to for anything you do is to understand that your emotions are part of who you are as a human being. And every decision that you make, every 
thought that you have, your emotions are tied into that and explicitly, and you can't, you can't pull them apart. But if you recognize that and you're aware of it, then it may help you get to truth. And so the fact that they bring this up, um, I think is a great, great on their part. But yeah. as that, that 15% as we'll show later, it's <laughs> like, it's, it's a good point. Like yeah. if you're going to make a decision, particularly a big decision about changing something fundamental to yourself, it's good to take a step back and examine why am I making this decision? What is it that's convincing me? Am I engaged in any kind of motivated reasoning? Is there some kind of bias going on that I'm not examining? Um, it's not a bad thing to have emotions play into your decisions, but you need to be aware of them because your emotions are not always the best way to get to truth. And if knowing the truth, if believing the truth is important to you, which I think it should be, then you want to be aware of the, the, the way you're going about your thinking to make sure it's the best way you can to get to true conclusions. So they talk about reason a lot in this episode or, or this interview. Um, I don't believe they give reason a very fair shake, but they do point out rightfully so that reason doesn't exist on its own like reason has other things that you bring to the table such as biases um, presuppositions and things that all impact your reasoning so now we're going to get into some of that 15 percent. one of the deepest disagreements i have is in their characterization of reason so the point that they make is that reason by itself is not sufficient it's a tool, but that tool has to answer to an authority. And this is a refrain I hear often from theists. And I'm not trying to paint with a broad brush. Not every theist is going to believe that, and that's fine. But this is a thing I hear from theists that I talk to, that uh, your reasoning is flawed or, or you're a limited human being, so you need to submit to the higher authority of God. And so when they talk about reason, the... He, he, <laughs> Their definition for reason is, at the end of the day, reasoning is the collection of things you take for granted. All of the assumptions and common sense, quote unquote, and experiences bundled up together. And reason is a tool, they say, that operates according to another authority. And the question is, what authority is it operating according to? And you have to pick one. It can't yeah. be its own authority, is, is their claim. We obviously disagree with that uh, 100%. And we have a, our own definition of reason. Our definition is, if you just look at the dictionary, reason is the action of thinking in a logical, sensible way. So when we're talking about using reason, that's what we're talking about. Trying to be methodological, trying to be consistent with the way that you're thinking and making sure that what you're doing is applying your best evaluation of the evidence, right? And, and ascribing your belief in proportion to that evidence. Whereas what the Christian position here is, the evidence is fine, but ultimately your authority is not the evidence or your reason, it's the Bible. Yeah. And he gives a pretty uh, horrible analogy about this authority and reasoning. So he, he talks about like if he had a growth on his skin, he could go to his mom who happens to be a hairdresser and he could go to his cousin and a doctor and get three different answers. And so which authority he trusts dictates um, which reasoning he takes to get to an answer. Right. right. And he says that it, depending on what authority he submits to, his reasoning will lead him <laughs> to a different conclusion. Uh, 
newsflash if you have a a growth on your skin and you go to a hairdresser and a doctor and one of them tells you to do a and another tells you to do b you should listen to the doctor unless that growth on your skin is hair then right yeah yeah, unless the growth is hair and your question is hey how do i make this look good if it's hey is this cancerous what should i do about it the dermatologist is the one you should listen to because that would be thinking in a logical, sensible way. That is a method of thinking that is likely to get to truth. But if you just arbitrarily pick an authority, then your reasoning is only as good as that authority was. Right. And I think this is this points out as a huge flaw in their their um, their methods, their system. I don't know what you call it. Um, because what we're saying is the logical choice is to examine the three authorities to see which one would be most probably have the best answer for us, right? So we would examine all three authorities if that's our options. And then we say, oh, well, maybe the dermatologist is the best authority on this case. Whereas they're just saying, well, you know, you could just pick one. Um, and if you happen to pick the wrong one, the hairdresser in this case, then you'll come to wrong, conclu- wrong conclusions. And I think that using the Bible as your authority is also wrong because if the Bible were wrong, how would you know? You're not going to know if you assume the Bible's right to start with, right? If, if you just assume that the Bible is your authority and if there's a contradiction between your reasoning and the Bible, the Bible wins. Well, then you basically precluded at any point ever concluding that the Bible was wrong. He says at one point, I might think that sex before marriage is very reasonable, but the Bible says it's wrong and I need to defer to a different authority as a Christian. In other words, hey, you, stop thinking. Go look <laughs> at the book. <laughs> yeah. So th- this is disagreement number two or one. I lost count already and we just started. This is, this is a, a basic disagreement. So the Christian, in this case, Marriott, is approaching this conversation with the assumption that the right way to think is the way that submits to authority, and that authority is the Bible. And if you are not doing that, then you are not thinking correctly. Which, if you're a Christian, I could understand why you may think that, right? If, if you believe that God is the ultimate authority then it and is the truth and all that nonsense, then it would make sense that you might think that. But... So I think we have a difficult here because we're coming from this. So our presuppositions are obviously what's what's we presuppose that the world that our presupposition is that we share reality, right, and that we can test in this reality. So well, I think this this is not a useful presupposition for the Christian to make when they're talking to someone who is doubting or has left, because right. you're starting not on common ground. If you're going to talk to someone, you need to start with the common ground, right? And hopefully we can both agree that we should listen to the evidence and we should uh, you know, make logical conclusions. We want to believe true things. So that's where we should start. Right. Because so, if you're talking with somebody who's deconverting and you, you're talking about um, using God as an authority to reason, and this person's like, well, I don't believe in God, so why would I? Right. Or you're not, like, you're, I'm questioning whether God's real or not, so why would I even... Yeah, your DOA. Yeah. So that's problem number one, is coming to it with biases and assumptions that the other person is definitely not going to exist, that are, that are in fact the very things in question. It's kind, of, it's kind of inserting the conclusion into the beginning of your conversation. The second thing that is a problem with these conversations that often happens is you'll tell someone, I'm having doubts, or maybe I used to be a Christian, 
and they ask you why. And you'll say, well, you know, I don't have sufficient evidence. I found things that led me to believe that I had been wrong or whatever. And the other person doesn't believe you. They they assume that there there must be something else going on. It's not the thing you said that there's you have reasons or it's truth, but there's something deeper. Right. And this is examined that this is evident in the conversation with McDowell and Marriott when he likens it the reason part, the evidence and truth part as the tip of the iceberg. That's the part you can see, but we need to look at the rest of the iceberg. So the anecdote he get he says is if you have anxiety, a doctor will give you medicine to treat those anxiety symptoms, right, at a surface level. But if you go to a therapist, we'll get to the root. And so while we have these apologetics, the truth thing, that's like the medicine to treat the symptoms, but we need to dig deeper and look at the part of the iceberg that's under the water. And then those objections that they had, the truth objections, those will just go away on their own. Because for Marriott and for some other Christians that I've spoken to personally, it's not the truth claims. Those are not honest. Yeah. It's not that I'm actually doubting the truth. It's that I have a heart problem. There is something, they have an implicit assumption that the actual problem is much deeper than these objections and questions that the doubting or deconverting Christian is raising, right? They assume that there's some sort of hurt or some sort of emotional reason behind this deconversion process. And while that could be the case, and it's okay to, if you're in that kind of relationship with a person, to broach that subject and talk about that. If the person says, well, no, that's not it, well, then that's not it. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, and I, I do want to emphasize uh, that it is true that people, like we said before, make decisions for emotional reasons. One of the researches that they brought up that I'd actually read this book before uh, was a gentleman named Jonathan Haidt. And he wrote a book called The Righteous Mind, and it was talking about how people come to moral decisions. And basically, what he found in his work and what they appealed to was that people almost always, when it comes to emotional decisions made in the moment, will make a kind of a gut feeling that this is right or wrong, and then they'll use their reasoning after the fact to justify it. So they've already decided this is right or this is wrong, and then they use reasoning to shore up that gut decision. And Jonathan Haidt talks at length in the book about why this might be and how the the role that your emotional intuition plays in moral decisions. He's a moral psychologist. And from that, they conclude, and I've heard other Christians like Titus has said this to me before, that this means that any moral decision you make has to do with your intuition. And if you're reasoning, that's, at, that's post hoc. But in fact, if you read the whole book, and you read into it a little bit more, something interesting comes out of Haidt's work. He found, and even I, I don't think Haidt emphasizes this enough for my taste, but he found that it, if you let the person sit with the decision a little bit longer, so instead of just like, here's the thing, what's your answer? But here's the thing, what's your answer? And now let's, let's think about it for 15, 20 minutes. I forget the length of time in the book. But the longer the person sat with the decision, the less their moral gut had to do with it and the more their reasoning was employed. Hmm. And so what that tells me, what I think the actual takeaway here is don't rush into decisions. Yeah. Take your time. <laughs> Which if you're trying to get a Christian to stop deconverting, then that would be a good thing, right? Like, hey, let's not rush into this deconversion here. Let's stop and think about it. 
Sure. Uh, that tells us that our knee-jerk emotional reactions are full of biases, and we shouldn't trust them implicitly. We should examine them, which is all great. But un- unfortunately, this is where th- those things that we've talked about, this is only the tip of the iceberg, your reasoning is insufficient, you should be submitting to an authority, your emotions are guiding your moral decisions, those things, those kind of uh, baseline assumptions all bundle up into the single most common reason I am told that I deconverted. Well, Jordan, you just wanted to sin. Y'all just want to sin. Y'all just couldn't handle it. There's going to be a God who judges you. And so you want to go and sin and you don't want to have to answer for it. So you say that God's not real, but deep down, you know, he is. Mm. That is the single most common reason I am told by other people over my own objections, why I deconverted. Yeah. And so to be fair a little bit, um, Marriott actually presents some evidence to this kind of point, right? He brings up a peer-reviewed paper as an example of y'all just want to sin. Now, he doesn't say it, it's what it is, but he it's a group of Chinese students who weren't Christian, they converted to Christianity, and then he the study, not Marriott, but the study followed them over a course of so many years, and they checked with them periodically to see where they were. And at the end of it, the ones who were no longer Christian – they said, okay, here's some things we can conclude about this type of person, like their personality. Right. And so. so the study was Psychological Predictors of Chinese Christians, Church Attendance, and Religious Steadfastness by Harry Hui et al. And this was a series of papers, actually, that was done. If you look up that author, it's spelled H-U-I is his last name. If you look up that author, you'll find all the studies. They wanted to see what kind of psychological markers were present in these people deconverting to see if you could use that to predict someone's faith journey. Now, the paper is very interesting. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you how Marriott says it. And this is indicative of other conversations I've had. And then I'm going to tell you what the actual paper says. So here's what the Christian says. So those who stayed in Christianity, they did so because they had a certain value profile. They valued benevolence, tradition, conformity, and loyalty. Doesn't that sound great? Like right. Those are all awesome, right? Except maybe conformity, eh, maybe, I don't know. But the rest of those, A-OK so far. Oh, but wait. There was a large number of people who left the faith, though. Those people, they also had a value profile. And they, this is a quote now, put a high degree of value on things like Dominance, power, autonomy, being self-directed, not being told what to do. They placed a high value on pleasure and self-gratification of looking out for themselves and of novelty. End quote. <laughs> End quote. And oh my goodness. Like it sounds like like the people who left the faith were like hedonistic pleasure seekers going out there, knocking over liquor stores, shooting up heroin, you know, <laughs> like, and, and they were just looking out for number one. They wanted power and dominance. Right. And so they couldn't handle being in this, you know, benevolent faith of Christianity. Right. Right. Well, I mean, so if that's the way that the person is, and that according to Marriott and Huey, uh, they may find it hard to be in a religion that emphasizes, you know, serving others and submitting to authority, right? So, And in the context of maybe a Christian worldview, that might make sense. So let's pause for a second. If you're coming into a conversation with this belief about the other person, that might taint the conversation a little bit, right? <laughs> Just like, a wee bit. Right. 
But data is data, whether or not we like it. Sometimes the data shows us things we wouldn't like even about ourselves. Maybe I am a power hungry, dominance seeking pleasure seeker. I don't know. You know, let's see what the data says, right? So Uh, Jordan, like a good skeptic, (laughs) heard this quote in the paper. He's like, "Uh -uh, I'm going to go actually look at this. So So I found the study and I read it. And wouldn't you know it? The study is actually quite different. Uh, uh, Yeah. So if you read the study, it's a good study, first of all. Uh, they have a reasonably large sample size, several thousand uh, students to start with. I think they had about a thousand kind of make it through the whole process, so reasonably good st- sample size. So you heard what how Marriott described their conclusions about the value system. Here is a quote from the paper, and the best I could tell, this was the part he was referring to. Here is a quote from the paper and how they phrased it. Self-direction and stimulation, quote, form a higher order value type called openness to change, which is related to people's readiness to try out new things, react against constraints and restrictions, and to come up with their own answers to life's problems. The stimulation and self-direction values invite the free thinkers to question more of the beliefs they are currently holding. People of the opposite higher order value type, which combines security, conformity, and tradition, prefer fewer changes in their lives and therefore are more likely to stay in their faith as well, end quote. So what the paper says is, hey, people who have a value system and a personality that makes them more open to changing their mind were more likely to change their mind. And the people who are less likely to change their mind, less open to it, didn't change their mind. Weird. Weird, right? Yeah. Crazy. It's, it's What's even more crazy is the way that John Marriott put it is probably one of the more uncharitable ways of presenting that data, right? Um, yeah, he he started with the accurate part. Like he he, it was accurate that the paper said that people who left tended to value autonomy. They tended to be value being self directed. They tended to value uh, power, which in the context of the paper, if you read it, means uh, status and like a like like authority and like reputation. You know, which isn't necessarily as negative sounding as power. So he used the truth, but then expressed it in a way that was. Very twisted. And it paints a certain picture of the non-believer. And if you go in with this picture of the other person, you're not likely to listen to what they tell you, right? If you if you go in with the assumption that the person is leaving because they want to sin, because they're power-hungry hedonists, then you're probably not going to listen when they say, well, the reason I left is a lack of evidence. Yeah. Well, So while we're talking about this study, it brings up a, a pretty interesting point. If... Uh, we're taking the Christian perspective and assume that God created all of these people. That means he formed them in the womb and made them who they are. Then he made them to be people who would not fit in with the religion that he wants them to be in. Right. He made them to be power hungry and to be, you know, hedonistic and want to pleasure seekers. So no surprise that they're not going to follow the religion. Right, a religion that's just benevolent and just wants yeah. people to be nice to each other, and that's definitely the only part of it. it has nothing to do with anything else, I think which it's pretty... I'm not sure I'd also agree with, but okay. That's a common yeah. view among Christians, which is fine. So, and, and that kind of, how, how you can take the same point and turn it around is indicative of this entire thing. Uh, they they want to talk about how people are leaving for emotional reasons. The real reason they're leaving is not because of evidence. It's because they want to sin, because they feel like they don't want to submit. Well, doesn't that mean on the flip side, people who are staying are staying for the same reasons? 
Like if it's really, if, if their point is that people make these decisions emotionally and that's the only reason, then wouldn't they make the decision to stay for the same reason? If the person having this conversation wants to be consistent, if they're, they're saying we want to get at the real reason why you're leaving, then the flip side is that is we should also want to get at the real reason you are staying, right? And if it isn't because of evidence, what is it? And is that a good indicative? Is that indicative of truth? But I think Marriott kind of says the quiet part out loud here. He says that he is as concerned about people who make emotional decisions for Jesus as a, as he is about people who make emotional decisions away from Jesus. That's great. You want to make sure that you're following the truth, whichever way it leads you. And if the truth leads you to Jesus, then I want you to go there. However, he then immediately says, but here's the difference. Because I think Christianity is true, then even if it hasn't been for the best of decisions, I think he meant reasons there, the outcome is still going to be okay. But if they're leaving the faith for the wrong reasons and not one that is indicative of truth, then that concerns me greatly. So I'm very concerned if someone leaves the faith or enters the faith for wrong reasons, but at the same time, in a much more real sense, I'm not concerned at all. Yeah, Basically, I don't care as long as they're Christian. Sorry. Right. And I think this is another disagreement. My stance when I have a conversation with a Christian is I want to get at the truth, whatever that truth is. If the truth is the reality of Jesus' divinity, then that's the truth I want to arrive at. And yeah. I would much prefer somebody be a Christian for sound reasons for having examined the evidence and come to a conclusion, a conclusion I disagree with, but they got there in a rigorous, thoughtful way than someone to reject the faith because they're angry at God. Right. Likewise, you'd rather have somebody be an atheist who got there through sound reason and logical ways versus they were angry at God and decided to be an atheist. Right. We've shown the y'all just want to sin, but in high language, which is usually not in such high language. And what I'm about to tell you is more the way I hear it from not Sean and Marriott, but from just people I meet on the street. At 46 minutes and 30 seconds, John Marriott says, quote, from a Christian perspective, we can't just say that people leave the faith purely because they are in a search of truth. Now, that is theoretically, I think, maybe possible. Yet at the same time, the Bible gives us lots of data to suspect that there may be something else going on, that just there just might be a driver for autonomy to be self-ruled, that there could be a hardness of heart, that our heart is deceitful or desperately wicked, and that is always at play in the conversion narratives. Despite the fact that they think they're doing this with the best of motivation, seeking the truth, really what they're doing is trying to avoid the truth. End quote. Wow. So that is just blatant right there. Like he has been giving us lip service this entire time. Like, you know, people go to all this stuff when really he just thinks that anybody who deconverts is doing it because the y'all just want to sin mentality, right? Right. And if you come into a conversation with this mentality, what you've told me as the non-believer is no matter what I tell you about my own internal psychological state, you are not going to believe me about – and I'm the only one who has access to my psychological state. Nobody else has access to it. I am the world's foremost leading authority on what's in my own brain, right? <laughs> and so – for me to say, well, the reason I left is a lack of evidence. What John and what some Christians say is, no, you're wrong about the reason you left and the reason you think something. You think that you're doing it because of a search for truth, but what you're really doing is you have a wicked heart. What you're really doing is you have a hardness of heart. You're really suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. 
and, and we're kind of making some assumptions here because we don't know his other work and we don't know. We're just basing this solely off of this one conversation. But when you make statements like this, he's not being a hard ass. He's not just coming out and saying, y'all just want us in. He's making it sound more flowery. This phrase here, people who come with this mindset, they're saying that none of the rest matters. None of the evidence matters. The apologetics don't matter. All that matters is what's going on in your heart. And so while Marriott says several times, you know, we should be prepared to give a defense, the way this plays out in practice off, often in my conversations is, well, I'm not going to bother to give you evidence because the evidence doesn't matter. Yeah, It's not about the evidence. It's about your hard heart. And then you're, you're a non-starter right there. Like the, right. If you're saying this is the real reason and they're saying, no, it's not, then the conversation is over. Right. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that, uh, and Marriott emphasizes this several times, people just believe in God because they feel hurt or abandoned by God, because they're angry at God. And I just want to, like, that, I'm not angry at God, but that makes me angry. Like, I'm not angry at God because I don't think he exists. How could I possibly be angry at him? It's like, <laughs> it's like I'm, I'm angry at, at Sauron or something. Like, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean... I'd probably be more angry at Sauron because like, if I'm reading the Lord of the Rings or something, you know, like I can, but anyways. Well, yeah. I mean, now I can be angry in the hypothetical, like sure. in the hypothetical where God exists, I'd have some very serious things to say to him about the way he did things. Like I'd, I'd have some bones to pick. I think it's pretty messed up, the things he's done. But again, that's in a hypothetical. I'm not actually angry because I don't think he's real. Yeah. It's a, Throughout this conversation, Marriott and Sean, they give some illustrations too. So like they say, you know, people leave the faith for reason and logic, but every example that they give, every illustration that they give of like a story of somebody who left the faith, they all come back to these emotional, you know, irrational reasons, like whether or not somebody was hurt by the church or somebody had, they gave a story about a transgender um woman who was just what did they say um she didn't think that having contradictions in your worldview mattered because in their psychoanalytical way she had a contradiction in her biology yeah and so that's why yeah which i was like you gotta be kidding me man there's no way that person's real but uh one of the anecdotes kind of inadvertently says something really good so we've talked about how not to do it right if someone Putting the motive of y'all just want to sin on the other person is extremely disrespectful. It's offensive. If you're telling me that the reason that I made this intellectual decision, which, by the way, was not an easy decision for me to make, and in some, in, in, in a certain frame, wasn't even a decision. I just no longer believed because the evidence that I was seeing didn't point that way. I didn't, I didn't wake up one day and decide, well, I don't want to be a Christian anymore. I woke up one day and realized I am not a Christian anymore because I don't believe. And to be fair, uh, Sean and Marriott point out that most people leave the faith like that on that gradual process. Right. But one of his anecdotes, I think, is very illustrative of the other side. So he gives an anecdote about a student of his who was super on fire for Christ and blah, blah, blah. And then later he asked him, you know, where he was. And he said he didn't identify as a Christian. He identified as a Marxist. And he talked about how the 
faith basically didn't match his values. He didn't think that they were defending people who were poor. He didn't think that they were helping the sick and those sort of things. But he still believed in the resurrection. He still thought Jesus rose from the dead. He still thought God was real. He thought all those things. He just didn't call himself a Christian. I think that story, for a person like that, this kind of emotional uh, value conversation is exactly the right conversation to have. Why? Because when you asked him why he thought something, he told you it was the emotion part. <laughs> right. That gives you the green light to talk about that stuff. <laughs> right. So in this case, you're doing the right thing, which is you ask the question and then you listen to what the other person said and believed them. Like, seriously, just going off on a bit of a tangent, where do they get off? Like, ha- dude, why'd you even bother asking me the question then? Like, if you already have decided that the reason that I am no longer a Christian is because I have a hard heart or because I'm a terrible person, because I'm a hedonistic pleasure seeker or whatever, then why the hell are you even talking to me, man? Like, yeah. clearly, you know everything you need to know about me. So why are we even talking? Well, I think it's interesting. We can talk about this now, how the idea of this interview in the book that he is saying is like how to interact with people who are leaving the faith to get them to stop leaving the faith. And everything that they say is the exact opposite of what you should do, minus this one case with the Marxists, right? Right. It has gotten to the point when I have these conversations, which I have regularly because I've chosen to put myself out there. It's gotten to the point whenever anybody asks me about my history, my personal history, like what was going on about the time that I started to be converted, I immediately, my skin starts to crawl. Because you know what's coming. (laughs) Right. Not because I have any... I'm a pretty open book. I, I, it doesn't bother me to talk about the things that were going on in my life at that time. It's not that. It's that I know. I just I know because I've had this conversation dozens of times. I know as soon as I say, well, you know, a year or two before I deconverted, I got divorced. Aha! <laughs> you just wanted to sin, and then and nothing else I say matters. They've already that they've heard everything they need to hear right there. Yeah. Um, it's so yeah, that's it. I mean, the y'all just want to sin part is kind of it, it's frustrating because Marriott and Sean McDowell don't just come out and say y'all just want to sin, they couch in this flowery language, but they do have a couple of their blind spots in their, th- their thought processes, right? Like in the book, he talks about how people should give Jesus the benefit of the doubt. Like if you're in your faith and you're struggling. You should give Jesus the benefit of a doubt and kind of work through those things. So basically fake it till you make it kind of stuff. Sean has a great question that he asks. He says, well, would you advise a Muslim who is doubting to do the same thing? Which is a great question. That's super insightful. And Marriott pauses and he says, well, you know, I never really thought of that. I never, it never considered me. It never occurred to him. <laughs> And he put this in his book, which this blows my mind. How caught up in yourself do you have to be? Like, how far up your own butt do you have to be (laughs) to not – for that never to have occurred to you that, wait a minute, maybe this advice I'm giving, maybe there's all of the other hundreds of faiths out there. Maybe it applies to them too, right? And if it does (laughs) – Right. Yeah. So – to so, be fair to Marriott, he did eventually say that he would advise a Muslim to do the right. same thing, right? So Yeah. So, and again, we're hitting on both of them a lot in a negative way. 
like I said, this is probably one of the better examples of the y'all want to like if you're going to have a y'all just want to sin with conversation, which you shouldn't have at all. But if you're going to, I guess this is the way to do it. I don't right. <laughs> and so, I mean, I think we should reiterate, we agreed with about 85% of what they said, but the 15% is the stuff that boiled our blood. Like so. <laughs> and, and why did it boil our blood though? Because it's personal, because we've gone through this before. And so when we sit here and listen to Christians, like basically devising plans for this, we're like, I've had these conversations. I've been accosted by Christians. I've, you know, all this stuff. And it just, it's frustrating. It, I wish that Marriott, and I, I know that Sean has talked to atheist. He talks to them all the time. And he has like, they seem like great productive conversations. Yeah. I wish that Marriott had talked to actual atheists because I am skeptical that he talked to very many non-believers or people going through doubt in the process of this, this research, because if he had done so, I'm sure what we, he would have heard all the time is, you know, the single thing that I cannot stand more than anything else is being told that I'm a liar about the things I believe, which is yeah. what you're doing. And so that's not going to be a productive conversation. Like real talk, if your goal is to save this person's soul, you're not doing great if the first thing you do pisses them off. <laughs> right. And the other thing too is like, he says multiple times in here that usually and most of the time and often like Christians leave for these reasons. Well, it makes me question how many actual, how many people he's talked to about this. And if so, maybe he's just lucky and he's only talked to Christians who left for these, you know, emotional yeah. reasons or atheists or whatever you want to call them. Well, the but. thing is like, if you tell me the Bible says that you only are leaving for emotional reasons or, uh, according to from a Christian worldview, then you aren't seeking the truth. What you've told me is the Christian worldview is false. That's all you've got. That's all you've given me because I know why I left. Yeah. It actually firms up your own. Right. Yeah, exactly. I left for intellectual reasons. I no longer believed because of the evidence. I, I no longer had evidence sufficient for me to believe in God. And so if you're saying, well, if the Bible is true, then you left for emotional reasons, then the only thing I can possibly conclude is, well, then the Bible's false. Like, that, that I may not know much for 100% certainty. I don't even know 100% certain that Jared exists, and I'm talking to him right now. But I know for a fact what, what I think, right? Yeah, that's the one thing you can be pretty damn sure of, right? Think, therefore, yeah. I am. So, okay. So now that we've talked about this awful conversation and how it mirrors the dozens of other conversations we've had, why don't we cut away the 15% and let's talk about how to actually have this conversation. Let's do Sean's po uh, interview, but do it right. Let's steel man him. Yeah, let's let's steel man him. Let's show, let, let's tell, if you are someone who has a person who is doubting in their life and you want to talk to them about it and they're open to that conversation, here is what you need to do. Step one, you need to make sure that they're open to have that conversation because they don't owe you that conversation. And if they don't want to have it, then you're not helping anything by forcing it. Right. That, that's, that's the most important thing too, right. right? That's the first thing. The second thing you should do, I'm assuming if you're having this conversation, it's probably someone you care about, your child or a friend or something. You need to go in there and affirm to them and to yourself that no matter what the other person decides, it will not affect your relationship. That you are still going to be their father, brother, cousin, whatever, whether or not they decide to 
follow Jesus, right? Which if you putting on my Christian hat, that's what Jesus would want you to do, right? He wants you to love your neighbor. He would want you to speak truth to them and you're going to do that. But what what is the most important commandment that Jesus said? He said to love your Lord with all your heart and love your neighbor, right? Well, it's not very loving if you're saying, if you don't do what I want, then I'm not going to talk to you anymore. By the way, that's what God does. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's also important to listen. And by listen, we mean like active listening, you know, reframing questions, making sure, you know, you point out what I hear you saying is this, is that right? You know, mm-hmm. really let the person know that you're listening to them. Right. Repeat back the things that they say, um, acknowledge any hurt that they might express to you, and then ask probing questions to get at places where you're not understanding or to dig for deeper reasons, because there can be those deeper reasons, right? So it's okay at that point, once you've established the ground rules, once you've established that this is a cordial conversation, that you're going to respect them, it's okay to say, well, you know, are you feeling any kind of anger or... Um, is there something else driving your decision? Like you have these reasons. Is there something else? And it's actually a question. And if they say, well, I haven't thought about it, then maybe you can dig into it. They're like, you know, no, I actually am perfectly happy in the church. I just don't, you know, these reasons. Then the response is, oh, okay. And then you move on. The response <laughs> is not, yes, there is. And we're going to keep talking about it until you find one. Right. <laughs> Or, and it's, it's okay because, um, you know, people are complex. You don't always, you know, it takes time to process things. It, it's okay to say, well, you know, you want to make sure, get that shared value. We're both trying to find the truth here. We don't want to make this decision or any decision purely for emotional reasons, if, because that may not get us the truth. So you just take some time to think about it, encourage them to consider, examine themselves, is this happening? Is there an emotional component to this? And if there is, that's fine. That's okay. It, it's not wrong to make a decision with an emotional component. Just be aware of it. The other thing I would do is I wouldn't go into the conversation thinking you're going to solve or figure out the issue in that one conversation. It may take multiple conversations. It may take no conversations. It may take a million conversations. But don't go into it assuming that you're going to fix the issue right then and there. Like, leave some room for air. Like, let it right. breathe. Come back to it, you know? So, like, hey, that was a great conversation. We should talk about this again sometime. Something that can be helpful, particularly if the person is um, angry or has been hurt and this is a sensitive topic, again, make sure that they consent to having this conversation. You know, consent's important. Uh, but if there's been hurt or, you know, the relationship is suffering as a result, it's cool to set up boundaries. You know, okay, we should have this conversation, but we're going to have it on Tuesday from 7 to 9, and we're going to start at 7, and we're going to stop at 9, and the conversation is going to end, and we're going to leave it there, and we're going to go on with our life. And yeah. we're going to do that again in a month or something. And that way, it doesn't spiral out of control you know that if one of you feels uncomfortable, you don't need to continue the conversation. Basically what I'm telling you, all of this can boil down to one three word phrase, four word, one four word phrase. (laughs) Don't be a jerk. Don't be a jerk. Just respect the other person. It's that easy. You can see how fired up Jordan and I got over this topic, right? Uh, We put our plans on hold 
what we were going to cover this week because this interview, it irked us. Like we were triggered. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so we decided to talk about it because we thought it was important. But imagine if you are going through doubts, you're questioning your faith and you're thinking about leaving and somebody approaches you and does these kind of things, you're, they're just gone. You lost them. They're, they're not coming back. Like, so if you're going to go into this conversation with the other person and uh, I'm right now, I'm speaking to the person who is a Christian who maybe hasn't gone through this kind of doubt as someone who used to be a Christian and used to view my relationship with Christ as like central to my identity. It was something that was extremely important to me and that's gone now. I'm going to, to let you in a little bit on what's going on. Everyone's different. So my experience may not map onto everyone's, but uh, for me, it was almost traumatic because it was very difficult. It wasn't an easy time for me because I was having to examine something that was like bedrock to my personality. And I, you know, my, my world was shaken. Like if I'm wrong about this, what else could I be wrong about? Like I was so sure about this and I think I might be wrong. That's, that's not easy. You know, it's not an easy time. I, I think I'm better off for it. I think everyone should go through a period where they find out they were wrong about something that was like fundamental to their person because it makes you a lot more humble going forward. It makes you a great skeptic. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, you need to go into it knowing that the other person is going through this difficult time and kind of be sensitive to that. Yeah, I mean, exactly what you said. If given your experience and how shaken it was for you and who you were as a person and your identity, you need to approach it with some sensitivity. Right. And now I can tell you that when I get into a conversation with a Christian or any believer, I get this a lot from Muslims too. Um, I have actually, I, there was a gentleman I used to go to school with at VCU. Um, guess I just doxed myself, whatever. There's a lot of people go to VCU. Anyways, uh, so uh, a gentleman that I spoke to, we'll call him Sam because that was his name. uh, He asked me, I I forget how the fact that I was not a Christian came up. I don't know if he talked about his church and asked me a question about my church. No one knew. It was probably you that brought it up. I I don't think it was, though, because me and – no, his name was Frank. Not his name. His last name started with Sam. I'm not going to say anything more about his name. <laughs> we know who this guy is now, <laughs> Frank. Uh, <laughs> anyways, uh, he he's a very religious man, very faithful man, good guy. Uh, but it came up. He might have invited me to church. It was something like that, and I said, "You know, actually, I'm a, I'm an atheist." And he asked me why, and I said, "Well, you know, I don't believe in God. I don't think there's sufficient evidence." He's like, "Is that really the reason?" You know, and I said, "Well, yes," and he said. Uh, but isn't, didn't you just want to kind of sleep around and didn't want to have to answer about it? And I said, no, Frank, no, that's not it. But isn't it really? No, Frank, no, it's not. And it just pissed me off. And so like, I, I've, when you have that, that tells me that this conversation's over. Like any chance you might've had to have a conversation with me is gone now. Right. So if your goal was to win me for Jesus, that's not going to (laughs) work. Yeah. Oh man. Well, so <laughs> to recap, despite going in with the best of intentions, and I genuinely think that Sean has the best of intentions, it, it, this shows that even thoughtful, considerate believers can fall into the same trap. 
And so how much more important is this for your average believer? If you have someone that's experiencing doubts, be considerate to them and believe them when they tell you why they're disbelieving. Do that. Don't tell them it's because they want to sin. I guess if you listen to nothing else in this podcast, do not say that. Yeah. If you're the person who's on the other side of that conversation and somebody tells you that, be like, listen, I like to have a conversation with you, but if you're not going to believe me when I tell you something, then I cannot talk to you anymore and this conversation is over. Right. And put up be- healthy boundaries. Because you don't owe them that conversation. Yeah, not at all. Do- doesn't matter if they're your dad, mom, wife, whatever. You don't owe them that conversation. So, Put your foot down. That's right. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Put some respect on it. All right. So that's our show, guys. I hope this was uh, useful. This is definitely a topic that's near and dear to my heart. And what we want to do is promote healthy conversations because we're all seekers for truth. We want to find the truth. And so we want to foster a environment where people are comfortable pursuing the truth together because, you know, that's what we're going to occupy our time with until we embrace the endless void. As long as that truth is brought to you by the authority that I ascribe to, though. Yes. As long as that truth is in the B-I-B-L-E. So if you enjoyed this podcast, give it a like on whatever platform you use. Put it on Facebook. Share it around. Uh, If you didn't like it, leave a comment. Or if you think we missed something or you want to share your experience, we'd love to hear uh, how this kind of conversation has gone down in your life. You can drop a comment on Facebook at facebook.com slash reason to doubt or on the YouTube page or hit us up on Twitter, wherever. And we'd love to hear your experiences. Uh, If you happen to be like Sean McDowell's friend, uh, throw this podcast his way so he can correct his mistakes. (laughs) Or he can explain his position. Sure. I mean, maybe maybe I'm just somehow I'm completely misunderstanding a explicit statement that I'm wrong. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But anyway, if you're doubting, remember, while you're doubting, you have reason to doubt, and that's okay. Until next time, peace out.